Well, welcome everyone. Let me uh, add my welcome. Uh, I'm Pat Hegarty, one of the team here, and it's great to be with you. If you're visiting today, it's uh, especially great to have you, an honour to have you with us today. Hope it's not too different from your uh, whatever other church you may come from, or if you don't come to a church normally, you're in the right place, and uh, you're very welcome. As the kids and everyone roll out, just to give a quick recap, we've been, um, we're finishing off this week a, a series that's been quite impacting for many of us called Entheos, and uh, Entheos is Greek for the word, uh, our word enthusiasm, uh, or the God within is what it really means, the God within. And we've been looking at ways that we can re-engage this God within, and we're just going to wrap that up today. But just as a bit of a, a quick recap as to why, for those who haven't been here, why are we going here, why are we uh, talking into this sort of thing? The reality is that the church and God's people are under pressure, uh, pressure they haven't known for a long, long time. Uh, Many of us are in a fog. The last two years um, have been hard enough on their own, but the last two years have effectively, through COVID and all the disruption of fires, politics, wars and rumours of wars, they've disrupted so many souls and so many have ended up wandering somewhat in their spirit. And so we just wanted to create a space, a pathway, so that people can re-engage their God within. To go back there again, maybe not in the way they did before because the faith that they had before was admirable, it was enough for then, but not enough for now. And so we need to constantly be evolving our faith and re-engaging with God in a new way. And so this fog of doubt and disruption and and disillusionment and such um, has really shown us that for many of us, uh, we've had insufficient foundations of our faith um, for whatever reason. For many of us, life has just rocked our foundations. I think if I had a show of hands, who, who could say life hasn't quite turned out the way you thought it might? The dreams and aspirations of marriage and, and vocation and wealth and all those things that matter to the West have been rocked. Mental health is, is spiking. Uh, many of us have grown up in church and, to be honest, the imperfections of what we call church has been shown up too many times. And that's become an inevitable reflection on our view of God. For some of us, we've grown up with habits of church in our life. I, I, thankfully, I say that now, but even though I love the heritage of church world, I wasn't brought up in it. And so there was nothing for me to relearn. There was nothing for me to break. But for others, the habit of church, which was a fundamental rhythm of their life, has been broken. And now life looks different. Now they've got to navigate blended families. They've got to navigate sports obligations and, and things like this. And the reality is, it adds to this sense of lostness, that the old way that I was doing faith, the old way I was doing religion and church, it's just not quite working out for me now. And so many have drifted. And so we've been using Jeremiah 6.16 as a, as a sort of an anchor verse where it says, where God says to his people who find themselves in this same sort of situation, albeit in a different generation of time. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. So he's saying, stand at those moments where you have the temptation to wander, the temptation to not believe anymore. Just stop for a moment before you go down that path that you're now getting so used to and look for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. So the human soul has ancient roots, ancient roots. We think because we're so modern now and the age of reason has come and 200 years of three industrial revolutions that we think it's inevitable that we're scaling up and to the right all the time. But we forget that the human soul can't evolve that fast. There are still needs and there are cries and there's insecurities that just scream out and it doesn't matter how much tech we've got, how many different social media accounts we've got and how much Bitcoin is rising or falling for us, it doesn't meet the needs of the human soul, does it? 
And so we need to find not old paths because our old path doesn't work, but the ancient paths that have always worked have actually never changed. The ancient paths of faith, of following God, of, of repentance from the soul that brings about change, of worship and thanksgiving, these ancient paths that have always worked for the human soul. And so today I want to wrap it up and I've actually changed, forgive me those who have been following this series and religiously and using it in their Bible studies, I've, I've shifted gears again as I do. Um, instead of naming this one Resolves, this one's called Resolution. I've kept the re, it's close but not quite there. Because I didn't want to, I thought the, the last thing I want to do is now represent all that we've talked about through a word that's been sort of misused of resolving, resolving to do something. Because in my humble opinion, I guess, the, the Western church over the last 40 odd years in our context has very closely paralleled the mindsets of the world in saying, this one thing I do, it's quoting Philippians 3, a scriptural verse, this one thing I do, and grabbing those verses and using them as what I would call as a Bible teacher, malpractice. We're grabbing these verses and saying, this means that. You can set a goal for your life and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whatever I set my mind to do, I'm going to do it. But we shouldn't do that to Scripture. We shouldn't misuse the word like that. If you look at the context, I mean, we'll look a bit later on about what, was, what Paul was actually talking about there. The depth of his soul that was just pouring out, there was nothing like what we've turned it into. I couldn't use that word in all conscience. And instead, I want to use the word resolution. And I want to go at it at two layers for us today because this wraps up these ancient pathways that we've been talking about. I want to talk about resolution. So there's resolution in the sense of a commitment to act in a certain way, but more importantly, resolution of finding home, becoming resolved in your soul, of getting back to where the ancient paths are supposed to lead our soul. Because all of us just need to come home sometimes. We're so frustrated, we're so tired, we're so um, dispersed. We don't know where home is anymore because so much is changing, so much is under question. Things that for thousands of years have never been questioned in the world of religion are now up for grabs apparently. And so we need to be able to come home and know what it looks like to come home. And so what I want to do though is give you a few forms of resolution, a few ancient paths that aren't what you might expect. They're not what you'd normally find in a, in a church in years gone by that talks about you need to resolve to do better because God's good and you're not. I'm not talking about judgment and rules of way to perform because it's never worked. It didn't work in the Old Testament. It certainly hasn't worked since. Why did he die? Why did he die? To give us his spirit within, to make that which comes from the overflow of that inevitable, not an obligation. So I want to talk a different language. I want to talk about switching paths now to give us resolution. The first one is to swap paths from the grind to grace, to, to switch grinding through life and start living from grace. Because sometimes we present Christianity as a list of demands from a disciplinarian God. But if we look at the real heart of God and, and you know, we just look at from a... a helicopter view for a moment, this whole landscape of religion. It's, it's got to be obvious that he didn't create us because he needed puppets and slaves that he wanted to whack over the head with a stick whenever they got it wrong. That wasn't the motive for creation. This God who is love created a world in which we could find love, which we could give love and we could share love with him. That's the ultimate purpose of all this. 
And that we could make that which is beyond these sort of walls, we're here where we can enjoy these moments of synergy in our faith and moments of shalom, that we can take it out and spread it out into the world and give the world love as well. And so this God who is pure love created that space for us to do that. But is that our, is that our experience? And the question I guess I want to throw out this morning is, have you ever experienced this grind that I'm talking about? Has, has life ever felt like a grind to you? Maybe I should do a show of hands. Who's ever experienced the grind? The grind. I used to be a cyclist when I was a, a, a few kilos younger. And uh, I just remember hitting Mount Cutha or hitting Mount O'Reilly's or, or some of the alpine climbs that I had the, the blessing to do. You know, you're talking about 1,500 metres, some of these hills of climbing. You can't sprint, you can't punch your way through those. We had those terms. You just grind. You've got to get there. You've got to have your head down, chew the tape, we used to call it, and just grind up these hills. And somehow that's what life has become for so many of us and nothing else. It's like Groundhog Day. Here I go again. I'm up again. The alarm's gone off. It's the same cup of tea. It's the same job environment with the, with the boss who doesn't understand and, and let me loose. All those things that grind us, all the expectations and the people who just constantly take from us and no one seems to give. And, and surely there's more to the, to the design than that. And absolutely there is. There's a life that goes from grind to grace. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I love it in the message version. I very seldom quote from a paraphrase version, but, but uh, he really got it right in the theme of this from the message in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus is at the, it's that famous uh, calling out at the feast. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? I'll tell you what, the world is largely burned out on religion. They're not burned out on God. The hunger for the spirit and the spiritual realm and eternity is stronger than it's ever been. But the hunger for church, not so much. Are you burned out on religion? Get away with me, he says, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And this thing about grace we always try to define it because that's what we do, but ultimately there's facets of grace, there's salvation, there's spiritual gifts, there's all these sorts of things. But grace, that word charis, literally mean, as I've explained a few times now, an external influence comes upon us and change transforms within. That was what the word was before the Christians grabbed it. It's a, it's a grace experience. So God gives us what we can't give ourselves and it changes us on the inside. He gives us forgiveness and it changes us. He gives us power to live and it changes us. But first of all, our first experience obviously is a grace connects us with God. We could never connect with him. We had this barrier of our imperfections and our sin and this holy God could not engage with us anymore. But grace comes in the, in the body of Jesus Christ, lays himself on this cross, takes all the penalty for that upon himself so that we all we need to do is have faith in what he's done for us. Instead of trying to live up to it ourselves, grace comes. You know, Milan, it's not about me. It's not about whether I'm good today or bad today. This is what I love about baptism. It's what I love about Belle. She's in here. She doesn't mind telling the world. She hasn't got it together yet. doesn't matter. She's not waiting for the right time because there's never a right time. She's not waiting until she's earned it or, or perfect or she's been good yesterday. We're never good enough. It's, it's, I'm dead to that stuff, it's saying, and I'm alive to this new life that I receive by grace. Grace. I can't earn it and I can't run away from it and I can't do anything bad enough that is bigger than grace because he just loves because God is love. Grace connects us to God. It gives us what we need to live as well. It doesn't just end here. Now it all begins. 
Over and over I've quoted in this uh, passage and, and before, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All you need to live that life, all you need to live in that world of grace is given to us if we can just learn how to receive it. And grace empowers us to do God's will. Ever struggle to do God's will? Ever come to the, to the crossroads and go, do I go that way? Do I go that way? I always fail. I can't do that. That's inevitable. I'm going this way. But it's not inevitable. Sin is never inevitable. Grace empowers us to do God's will. Peter carries on in 1 Peter 4. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of his varied grace. So he gives each one of us grace. See, there's no spectators allowed in our church. Well, you probably are allowed. You can hang out with us. But we're not a church until this verse is activated. Each one of us has received a gift. The word is charis, grace. Each one of us has received a grace. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So that grace comes so that this weird mess that we are, now, it's almost like Paul describes it a different way. He says uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians that, you know, we're, we're clay pots. He says, you know, we're, we have this treasure in jars of clay, this treasure being grace, but we have it in this broken vessel. It's like we're cracked pots. Cracked pots, cracked pots. <laughs> Take your pick. If you're Pentecostal, you're a crackpot. I can only say that because I've got panty roots, but uh, crackpots. But I love the picture. That's all we are. We're, we're, we're broken vessels that contain this unspeakable grace. And what's your mission in life? Is it to look like a perfect vessel? No, you're a crackpot, just like me. It's, it's what's within the pot that really matters, grace. We don't earn it, but we carry it. So what's my resolution? How do I come home to this? How do I come home? Well, it's to really, I guess, see yourself as a crackpot and just own it. But the crack pot can still hold the grace. It doesn't bring attention to itself. It brings attention to the grace. And my resolution is found by not having to perform and get another you know, promotion in my job or a better house. Or, that's not what it's about. It's about how much grace can I receive. The next one is to swap from consumerism to community. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. And I'm not going to dwell too much on it because this is countercultural for our society. But we need to swap inevitably on our pathway of growth in God from being a consumer to being in this thing called community. And this is only a problem in the last, say, 50 or 60 years. Originally, there were very few options. You know, a lot of us have come here because you had the option to come here. Oh, I might go to church today. Which one will I pick? Let's browse. Awesome churches at Kenmore. Oh, there's only one. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> uh, but years ago, that wasn't the case. It, it was, it was, there was only really one church in your village and it was always within horse and cart distance. And so everyone and the rhythm of their life just went to that church. There weren't church splits over, over doctrine or whether someone offended someone else. It was just that was the village church and that was the centre of the town square and everyone came to meet there and it was a, a rhythm of the community to do that. And now it's something else because of all the distractions that we've got. Sports and business and scattered families, they've broken that rhythm in our life. But in the end, don't you find out that that madness of life, that noise, it just never stops. And it's not like it just becomes white noise, it's deafening noise. It's like, I just can't hear anymore. I've lost my resolution and I need to come home. But when we do that, 
with a with a wrong mindset and we decide, well, let's go to church on Sunday. I haven't been for a little while. Let's let's come along. It's like I'd like to get involved. I'd like to be more regular. I'd love to keep coming, but I can't spare the time. And that's that's the culture now. That's the reality. But wouldn't you just like to come home sometimes? Wouldn't you like to just be able to say, can I just switch all that off just for a while? I just want to find my people. I just want to find my people. Because most of us are now so busy. If I said to you, do you have three or four great friends that you could just knock on their door any time, day or night, and just vent your soul or let them vent yours, we'd be scared how few of us have that. But that's what it means to find your people. That we stop uh, closing the roller door as we drive in our driveway, that we play cricket on the, on the road now and disrupt the neighbourhood and, and smash the neighbour's glass and all that stuff we used to love doing when we were kids. But you know you're in your neighbourhood, you're in your tribe and, and, it, and it just works and there's security in that. And I think most of our hearts want to be there. We don't want perfection. We just want an ear to listen and a, and a sort of hand to help and a way to contribute. We just want to be planted and just grow. Well, I hope you find that resolution. Hopefully uh, in this church or another church around us that you just find a way just to plant yourself and come on home. Paul says in um, Romans 12, as, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I love that he puts that word individually there because we think, well, you can't have community and individualism. But today we all make our individual choice to be part of a community. And this is what he's saying. It's our choice. Do you choose noise and ambition and all that stuff? Or do you choose my people? Because it will cost. You can't sort of do both. There's just not enough hours in the day. There's not enough strength in your heart to do that. So find resolution for that. Make the hard call. Once you make it, it's not that hard, as we saw today with Bill. Just make the decision. Just do what we need to do. And finally, this is the one I really want to focus on because, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe I'm just too old and crusty and I've done too many miles on the clock now. But it's very easy for us to lose just the the awe of being a Christian, of being God's son or being God's daughter. And so I want us to be able to turn from wandering to wonder, just just wonder, plain old awe, that we know that we can just get away where no one can get to us and we can just be with God. For me, it's in the dark hours of the morning. I love uh, that the sun doesn't come up till after six at the moment. It's just black. And uh, it just gives you those hours before the sun comes up just to, just to sit and find your way of being with God. Because the, the disappointments of your life, and I, I know most of our stories of the regulars here, the disappointment, it atrophies your soul. It drains your energy. The unsolved riddles of God, where we didn't come through where we thought he would, cause our belief to falter and we start to wander. Failure. Our own failure of being a Christian or failure in life, it, it sort of kicks the audacity out of our soul. And we forget to, to take risks and, and get ambitious with God and grow our faith. It all adds up to a life that has no certainty about it. We start to wander without any wonder. And so what do we do? We take the wheel back. We, we get back in the ship and we grab, we grab that thing, but we find ourselves all at sea. And the storms come, or even if they don't come, it's like, where's, where's the point on the horizon I'm supposed to aim for anymore? There's no purpose left in my life. I'm just grinding again. I'm just doing this stuff. And, you know, it's okay to win the rat race, but you're still a bit of a rat. 
Sometimes we've got to realise, where's my compass gone? Where's true north gone? And I find ourselves in a life with no trust and no godly whispers speaking into my soul, no faith, no optimism for the things that really matter. And so we need to return to this simple wonder. How long since you've just been in wonder of God? How long has it been? It's just so easy. If you get up and the first thing you grab is your phone and you start scrolling through or scrolling left and right, I don't know what the young people do these days, but um, and that distraction comes upon you. How long since you've just been able to stop and go, no, the first thing I want to do is just breathe in his presence. I love this picture and I use it in the devotions through the series and I really haven't lost it since I wrote that devotion about the woman in, in Luke who comes to Jesus' feet. It's just, it's just been rattling through me. And the more I dwell on it, the more I think, I want to be that woman. I want, to, I want to just throw it all away and just come there. I don't care what people think about me. He was invited to a dinner. Jesus was invited into the snake pit, the Pharisees' snake pit of the day. And they were after him. They were going to set him up. And I don't know whether you know the history, but it was a, a setup called a triclinium where he was sitting. He was reclining at a table. If you can imagine it here, imagine a reclining bench there that, that tilted up on one side. And there was one on that side as well, one on that side as well. So triclinium, three, three benches. And the, and the guest of honour would sit at the, would recline at, the, at that one and then status would dictate who's on the sides, who are the big shots next to him um, and how do we treat them. And so it was very much a staged place. And the woman who turned up there, was in the wrong place. She shouldn't have been in that room. She should not have even been there, let alone there. But there she was at Jesus' feet. Picture her right there where that light is. That's where she was. Everyone was looking at her. Everyone knew she shouldn't have been there. She knew she shouldn't have been there. It didn't fit. It was all wrong. And the only one comfortable with it was Jesus. And you can just, what drove her to do that? It can only be wonder because she knew the judgments that they had. Have you ever felt the echo of the critique that comes at you? Sometimes we just make it up, but we're just so aware that we're being judged or aware that we're judging other people. So we know, and we've heard the words and they just rattle around in our brain. She would have had that. She knows she's lost the game of life. She's lost. All the guys, all the men, and she probably knew their names because in secret, they might've paid her a visit as well. She was a prostitute apparently. And so she knew everyone in town in the biblical sense. And so there she was. She'd lost the game. There was no more competing for her. And she was probably just trying to survive the day. But she'd found a way to break the circuit of this rat race and she found it right there at Jesus' feet and all she could do was wonder at who he is. And you, but you look at what that did. She had this wonder at the sense that she'd been forgiven, that uh, she wasn't just put up with Ever had that feeling where they're just putting up with me? She wasn't just put up with. She wasn't just even accepted. She was loved. She was welcomed. She was the one that Jesus showed favour to that night. And she'd be remembered forever, he said. She wondered there was a man that could love a woman without lust. And there she, she sat just crying. And so these two symbols come out. Let's read the text in Luke 7, verse 37. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. How much more gritty and brutal can you get than, the, than a moment like that? And kissed his feet and then anointed them with the ointment. She probably only had one thing. That was that jar, beautiful jar. 
It's like you. You probably only got one thing. It's your life, that beautiful life that we have, that Kenmore life, Brookfield life, centenary life. Two cars, roller door, four beddies, ensuite. It's all we got. Who are you? Oh, I'm a teacher. Who are you? I'm a salesman. I'm a CEO. Awesome. That's the jar. And she brings that jar. That's all she had. And she cracks it. It says, it's all I've got and it's all yours. And she dumps it there. And you see this beautiful picture where all she can do is just release tears and perfume. And guys, you know, we've got to get a bit girly with this for a moment. I'm about as blokey as they get, but I somehow can relate to this because I'm the bride of Christ like all the women. Tears as, as she repents. And as I've mentioned in the devotion, there's this weirdness about the fact we think the more holy we get, the closer we get to God. I've been good today, I'm going to have a quiet time with confidence. Or I've been bad today, I need to spend 25 minutes in repentance, then I can come to God. And yet he just breaks all that. He just breaks it. And the, the, the awareness of God's closeness and his love and who he really is was coupled with his awareness of how sinful she really was. And all she could do was weep at the greatness of God in that situation. And then tears just mixed with perfume. What can I do when, all, when, when this wonder of what I've received and she'd received what no one else in the room received that day, she understood forgiveness, she understood grace. What could she do but break open that life and just say, it means nothing to me, but this perfume within will fill the world with worship, like incense going up. See, a heart that's revived will pay any cost to sit at Jesus' feet, any cost. Have I forgotten what it's like to know my shame is erased? Or have I just gotten used to it? Have I somehow normalised this thing? Have we forgotten? Because it's just we've... We just do this all our life. Have we, as the tang and the spike and the energy of enthusiasm gone from our life? How long has it been since I sat there and just found a way to weep? Because I'm not much of a weeper, but just found a way to do my version of crying at, at the fact that I'm forgiven. Do I still know what it's like just to not want to sin anymore because it's so against his nature? Not because I'm told what to do, but because I don't want to anymore because it might offend this loving father who, who is the opposite to all of that. How long has it been since I've felt that? A revived heart will pay any cost. When did I stop bringing my most valuable things and bringing them at his feet? Whatever I have, whatever I am, wherever I'm going, it's all yours. So she didn't bring what was left over. She brought all that she had. That's resolution. That's coming home where nothing matters. I want to just read as a, as a final scripture in this series and I said, I promised we'd come to Philippians 3 and this is where we find it. And just feel in the context of what I've just been saying, the, the sort of wonder fueled desire of the Apostle Paul. He had the alabaster jar. He had it all going on. He'd done it all. He'd, he was highest of the high. He could have had anything. He could have done anything. And yet he's long since given all that up and now he finds himself in prison in the last days of his life. And he's there shackled to a freezing cold wall in a, in a damp cell, no window, no nothing. He's got nothing. Probably sick. And yet he's never been happier. And he remembers all that was before and, and all the glory that he's coming to. And he pens this last scripture. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. 
I consider them garbage. See the language? He doesn't consider that so much of a sacrifice. It's like I can't let that get in the way. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness from my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He can't get over it. He could, he could rattle that off over and over and over again. This thing that comes from faith, all I need to do is trust in him. But then, then comes the overflow. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, to become like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can you, can you feel the wonder in that? Just that? All I want to know is God. Like he's got God. You've got God. You got it. That's all tucked away. It's in the bank. It's all good. He had all that too. But all he wanted was to live in the wonder of Christ in his life. That's all he cared about. And we somehow have taken this verse and made it a motivational tool that I can reach whatever goal I want. This one thing I do, we say, which is what Paul said too. But this is the one thing he wants to do. He wants to live in wonder and just remember and be in awe of who God is. He is so good. I can't comprehend it. I don't want to move on from this space. And that's all he wanted to do. And the older he got and the further he went, the clearer this became to him. Now, big or small, all I am, all I do, it's all for God. All that matters is entheos, this God within. Nothing else can come close. And if it's a battle, it shouldn't be. It's not supposed to be. All that was given to us. See, if we're battling, we may as well live in the Old Testament. We may as well live as if Jesus hasn't come because he's given us the Spirit. Entheos, God within. I can do all things through that. Powerful spirit. Nothing else matters. Nothing else comes close. But what have we done with it? Is it in a little box of doing my Christian thing? Or are you the Christian thing? It's fiercely confronting, isn't it? And I don't want to bring a downer on this. I want to present this as an opportunity to find life. To stop wondering and just live in wonder. It's way better. It's a lot cheaper. Well, it costs you everything, but, you know. So can we close in prayer as, as the band comes up? And I'd just like to lead us in some prayer because this is something that only God can work into our soul. Let's pray together. I first up just want to give an invitation. If you're new to church world, you haven't been here before or, the, or for the longest time, And you could say that, well, I've walked away from faith. I've deconstructed that. It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. But today you've seen that there is more, that what you're going through is not uncommon. But around the world right now, so many are reconstructing their faith. They're coming back to the God they actually never knew in the first place. The God that they chose not to believe in is the same God I don't believe in. I believe in this God, the God of Scripture who offers life whose judgment was taken upon Himself in Jesus Christ. He did it for you. And if that's you and you'd like to lean on Him again and just say in your own heart, Father, I relate to this woman. Forgive me. Forgive me for not believing. Forgive me for trying to make it on my own in my own strength. Today I've realised I can't do this on my own. You've done it all for me. What else can I do but trust You? You've never done a thing, Jesus, to betray my trust. God has never done anything beyond what He's promised to be and to do. Father, it's been me who's walked away, but I'm coming home. 
thank you that you always take me, that the door is always open and the Father's arms always embrace me. And will you now, if that's you, why don't you just picture that loving Father now opening His arms to you and taking you home. And if you're doing that, we would love to talk with you after the service. Come and see somebody up the front, myself or one of the prayer team. We'd love to talk you through what to do next. But for the rest of us, the wandering souls. Lord, if we're honest, we all wander, we all do it. But You keep calling us back to this pathway, to this ancient path. And James echoes our own soul today. Does the Scripture say in vain that the Spirit He calls to dwell within us cries out in jealousy for us? Now we wanna cry out, Lord, in jealousy as well for You. And so we come back to You. We turn our face away from all that's distracted us and we turn our face back to You. Bring us home and we resolve to come home and to stay home. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.